0: All right. Hey, for you guys that don't know me, my name is Michael, and uh, we are starting a new series today called Head Games. We've done it's the third time we've run this series, uh, but we haven't done it in a couple of years. And the whole idea of the series is we want to help you, practically on a number of different levels, to uh, figure out some stuff that mainly everybody has going on. The main points of discussion is the Christian thought life and anxiety and depression and all these different things. And we want you guys to understand and know how these things work and interact with Jesus. So today is going to be the most impractical of all of the days. It's kind of just the, the big idea of what we're going to be talking about. Next week, we have Pastor Josh Cruz from Village Church coming in, and uh, he's awesome. He's going to come in. He's going to talk about anxiety. It's going to be incredible. Uh, the week after that, I'm going to come back here, and we're going to do a whole discussion on depression, practical tips, how does Jesus interact with depression. And then the last week, what we're going to do is we're going to have three registered psychologists who come in and they are going to do basically like an interview and QA through a bunch of different questions that we have to help you guys on a very practical basis. So that's the whole point. We want to help you in ways that Jesus interacts with your thoughts and your mind and anxiety and depression and all of those different things. And we hope that you would join us through the whole thing. If you have friends who suffer and deal with these kinds of ideas, we would hope that maybe out of any of the weeks, that next week is one of those weeks where you go, I'm going to give it a shot, I'm going to bring them out to youth just so they can hear Pastor Josh go and explain a practical way for a Christian to live through anxiety, and I know that hits so many different people. And this is why we want to do this series. Today, and this is Canadian statistics, approximately 5% of male youth and 12% of female youth aged 12 to 19 have experienced a major depressive episode. That's probably 12 people in the room. The total number of 12 to 19-year-olds in Canada at risk for developing depression is a staggering 3.2 million. It's about 9% of the population. Once depression is recognized, help can make a difference for 80% of people who are affected, allowing them to go back to regular activities. Mental illness is increasingly threatening the lives of our children, with Canada's youth suicide rate the third highest in the industrialized world. Suicide is among the leading cause of death in 15 to 24-year-old Canadians, second only to accidents. About 4,000 people die prematurely each year by suicide. Schizophrenia is, youth's, uh, is the youth's greatest disabler as it strikes most often in the 16- to 30-year-age uh, age group, affecting an estimated one person in every 100. Surpassed only by injuries, mental disorders in youth are ranked as the second highest hospital care expenditure in Canada, and in Canada, only one out of five children who need mental health services receive them. This is why we want to do this. It is out there. It is prevalent. Everybody talks about it. And it's so weird for me, if I'm honest, because when I was in high school, which honestly wasn't that long ago, anxiety, depression, mental health, these were not conversations we were having. I'm sure it was there. I'm sure it was around. But this is not a buzzword like it is today. It is everywhere. And so what we want to do is, at best, not to tell you, you suck, you are doing bad, do better. That's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is say, hey, we want to come alongside of you. We want to hope that Jesus interacts with you through this series in such a beautiful and meaningful way, that the Spirit is just at work in your hearts, that something changes and transforms, that the beauty of the gospel hits you in such a manner that things look like there's a positive trajectory. Cool? That's the goal. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through a couple different verses. We're gonna run a a couple different ways, and hopefully we just start picking a bunch of strings together, bring it all together, crochet into this beautiful masterpiece, and get a bit of a vision of where we are going. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 11-16, uh, and this is a very beautiful passage of Paul, talking about the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is one that's super interesting, because I think about, uh, last week I wasn't here, I heard Zach did a great job, and uh, I was in London, England, so I'm hanging out with like the Queen, and going like, Queen, like... Crumpets and tea, whatever. So, like, we're hanging out, and I'm around there, and I just started thinking about traveling and going all these different places. And it blew my mind going if I was lost anywhere in the world, the first place I would go to anywhere in the world is a church. And within that church, I would find people who are on the exact same page as me. Isn't that crazy? Like, no matter where I am in the world, no matter where I am, I can go to a church and I will find like-minded individuals in there who believe in Jesus, love the gospel, want to, want to share the gospel, understand the implications of his resurrection. Like, I will find people who notice that everywhere. And Christianity is one of those places that doesn't have a beginning standpoint or a hub. Uh, when you think of uh, Hinduism, you think of India. When you think of Taoism or Buddhism, you think of China or parts of Asia. When you think of Christianity, there's not one place that holds all the keys. And that, for me, is a beautiful thing. That the like-mindedness of Christ is all over the world and is spread everywhere. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says about our minds, wisdom, and the Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Let me pray, and uh, we can get going. Father, we just... uh, Yeah, we would just ask that you send your spirit. Holy Spirit, come to this place. Allow us to really pick up on things that we may not have picked up on before. Allow our eyes and our attention to drift to Jesus and allow Him to see him in a more beautiful fashion that that begins to be the thing that rejuvenates our heart. Not a cool talk, not an interesting statistic, not a cool quote. Like none of those things would do the work, but just that you, Jesus, would do the work in our hearts to allow us to see some hope in the world and hope in ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple years ago when I was doing the series, I, uh, I went through a kind of an interesting uh, situation. I was at school, and uh, I was doing a master's degree, and so I was sitting in a class with this guy who was this brilliant theologian. He's just like this Bible nerd to infinity. He's probably like top three Bible nerds in the world. And so I'm sitting there with this guy, and I'm in the front of class, and I'm just hanging out. I'm wearing this long cardigan, and uh, these classes are, like, four hours long. So right in, like, the one-and-a-half-hour mark, they take a break. And so I'm like, okay, I get up, I go to the cafeteria, I'm hanging out, and I'm just like, hey, I I don't want coffee, because when I drink coffee, sometimes I get, like, like, I just go crazy, and I can't control myself. I'm watching YouTube videos. It's a thing. So I'm like, I don't want coffee, and, like, don't give me, like, the tea nonsense. I don't want none of that. Like, what's, what's, like, a good middle ground that's, like, something good? And he goes, in, like, the weirdest tone, he goes, I got Pellegrino, and I was like, A, you're a drug dealer. You know, no one talks like that. And then I was like, what colors? And then he goes like, oh, I got yellow and orange. I'm like, yellow? No one chooses yellow. Give me the orange one. So I got the orange one, and I'm hanging out, and I'm just like, okay. And the the, the break time kind of ends, so I don't even have a a chance to, like, drink it. So I'm like, oh, no. So I put it in my pocket, and I I start to hang out. And uh, I'm sitting in class, and as I'm sitting in class, it's kind of like some time goes by, and as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm sitting in such a way where, like, the can is, like, over here in the seat, and it's, like, kind of uncomfortable, whatever. And my wallet, my wallet uh, is is it's a great wallet, but it has this, like, metal thing at the back here. And so at one point, I, like, shuffle over because I'm, like, uncomfortable. And as I shuffle over, the metal clip thing at the back punctures the San Pellegrino can. And I'm sitting there, like, in total, like, Oh my God, what is that noise? Is someone urinating behind me? <sighs> I knew it was Jeffrey, that guy just. just... And then I feel it, and I go, "Oh no." I'm urinating. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, everything's wet, and I'm like, oh, should have gone for yellow. And so all of a sudden, I come out, and I'm just like, what the heck? And it's like this weird thing, and so I, I grab it. And I'm like holding my cardigan in this awkward fashion. I just book it out of class. Like, 40 people are like, what happened to that guy? He's like, oh, he beat himself. So I go, and I run out, and uh, the worst part about it is I try to finish the rest of it. So I go to the bathroom, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I start cleaning up. I got the whole thing. I'm like, oh, what do I do? And then I'm that guy in the bathroom who has like paper towel just like patting themselves in the and I'm like, "What's No, this is, ah, oh, I peed. I didn't pee. It was, it was a disaster. So, clean myself up. I go back into the room. I'm sitting in the room, and what I realize, the worst part is, there's a little puddle still left on my seat. And I'm like, oh, Lord, like, oh, I should have. So I left again, got some paper towel, came back. Everyone's watching me. It's a disaster. I sit back down, and I'm like, oh, Lord God, let this end. Class ends, and you should have seen everyone. All these people were Christians. Like, demons took over them because the glares they gave me afterwards were like, you're a pathetic human being. And I was. the a pathetic human being. I'm sitting there like, oh, Lord, why did you do it? Why have you forsaken me? Like, I'm losing my whole mind. The worst part of that is an old guy in the back of class, as he crosses me, he goes, don't worry, it only gets worse as you get older. <laughs> Traumatized. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I peed myself in class. No, I didn't pee myself. Like I started believing it. You know what I mean? It was awful. I get into my car and then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it. I'm like so embarrassed and shame just starts like, oh, I'm the guy who peed himself in class. But it wasn't me. It was the Pellegrino. I should have got the yellow. Like I just kept on going and over and over and over and over and over again. And I thought about, like I'm driving, I'm like 40 minutes into my car ride and it just flew like this because my mind is just, woo, like it's gone. And in an instant, I sat there and I remembered the actual class that we were having. The class is in the book of Hebrews, and we were learning about the ascension of Christ and Christ being at the right hand of the Father and his authority over the world and all things and the beauty of that moment. And it, like, caught me totally off guard. All of a sudden, all the shame, all the weirdness, all the thoughts that I was going through my mind completely disappeared because my attention went somewhere else. And that somewhere else was so beautiful and was so overwhelming that it relegated every other thought that I could think in that moment and completely took over. It's the mind of Christ. And the crazy part about living in anxiety and depression and thoughts of the mind is so difficult because at some point what you have to realize is that if you you call yourself a Christian, You have a real enemy out there. Satan is a liar. And if you're sitting here going, oh, I can't believe you believe in Satan, like the devil, who are you? You're the the minority of the world. The majority of the world believes in an evil spiritual entity. The majority of the planet believes in spiritual beings. And what happens in those moments is that if you, before you were a Christian, were an enemy to God, and God gave himself to have you as an ally, if you switch sides, you still have an enemy. And the ploy of that enemy is to allow you and to constantly remind you and point your attention not to Jesus, but is constantly trying to point your attention to your sin and not your savior. That's the ploy. That's the goal. It's to move you from thinking about your sin rather than thinking about your Savior. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's a really big deal, that we take every thought captive, every thought captive. Have you been sitting there in your room watching Netflix or a dumb show, and you realize that your mind starts going on a prediction? on a a particular moment that happened in your day that was embarrassing or weird or you thought about and you're like, I can't believe I did that. And you start spiraling out of control until 20 minutes go by and you're in a place that you never even knew that you started with. And all of a sudden you feel shame and discord and a hatred about yourself that you're like, how did I get here? My question is, why didn't you stop? There is no overlord going over top of you, going, err, you must continue. There's nothing over you saying you must continue to think of yourself this way, but you choose to. Because the weirdest part about it is that this idea of hating yourself, of, of thinking negative thoughts about yourself, is something that you have been so surrounded by in school, in conversation maybe even in your families, that you've normalized it to the point where you say, this is what life is really supposed to be, and it's not. That for Christ to take every thought captive, to think about the things that you think about, and really like grab those and go, no, 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 we're not doing this today, is the idea and the goal of a Christian with their thought life to take control of what is going on in your mind. Romans 12.2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, to renew your mind, to transform what you're thinking about, the ideas that are going into your mind. Dallas Willard, who's this brilliant guy, says it this way, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. And the craziest part I think about high school students, young adults, adults, is the fact that we do not take this freedom at all. We let our mind do its own thing and we are actually the ones that suffer the repercussions. Now, why does this happen? Well, this happens because of a number of different reasons. I think the reasons why this happens is because of our cultural state, where we really are. You are in the weirdest season of all time, the weirdest season. We have zero idea what the implications of eternity in your pocket will do to our brains. You can have every single answer, every question answered. You remember that time? Um, I know the young adults in the room where the leaders will sit there and go, when, I remember a time when you were in the car, and you couldn't think of that song that was on the tip of your tongue, and you're, like, getting so frustrated, and you would never get an answer. That was the worst. But now you're, like, you just hum into your Shazam. It's like, boom, tells you exactly what it is. It changes you. It's very different. Listen, your parents or maybe their parents or your grandparents' generation lived in generation one. What generation one is, is a generation where you had no options whatsoever. If you wanted a job, you just did what your parents did. If you wanted to marry someone, they told you who to marry, or you stuck within your community, the person who's living in your city or the person who goes to your church or whatever. You didn't really have a lot of options. You couldn't really even leave town, so you were stuck in your town. You had to marry somebody within the small little vicinity that you're in, and you did the job that they did. There are no choices. But Generation 1, even though the tank of choices went down, the tank of meaning went up the tank of friendships and relationships went up. And then generation one disappeared. And we went to generation two. And generation two was your parents or maybe even some of us as young adults who are sitting there and now you can choose whoever you wanna marry. You can move to whatever city that you want to. You can choose whatever vocation that you want to. And all of a sudden the choices ramped up but still you were kinda hindered in some things. Right, if you wanted to go to a movie, you couldn't just like pull up showtimes on your phone. You had to either go to the place or look into a book or th- your options were still kind of held back. If you wanted to watch a certain TV show, you had to wait a week every single time. Horrible. They would just upload seasons. Like that's a game changer. There were some of those things that still held back our decisions and gen- and and generation 2 had this there's still more choices but Man, the the ability of choice is brought down, meaning it brought down relationships and the elevated self-expression. What you live in is not generation one, which now around the world still exists. You go to places of Africa and the Southern Hemisphere, that's still there. Some places are generation two, Latin America, Asia. Some places are still in generation two. You are in generation number three. Generation number three looks like globalization, that more teenagers around the world look exactly alike. They're all wearing the same kind of clothing. They all generally look the same. They all like generally the same kind of music, that everybody around the planet looks almost equal. It's crazy. Technology, you can talk to anyone everywhere whenever you want to. You can fly to any place in the planet that you want to if you have enough money. You can move from country to city to back to country to another country. You can go wherever you want to because of the availability of your day. You are obviously connected in every which manner and the tank has grown in absolute freedom, but it's gone even lower in meaning and it's gone even lower in relationships to the point, that the freedom that you have been given has become oppressive to you. It hinders your abilities. You don't know how to reduce your freedom to see meaning and you are oppressed by endless possibilities. Think of your high schools. Think of the conversations. Think of the culture. You can choose whatever gender you wanna be, whatever marriage you wanna have, who you want to marry, what job you want to go to, which university you want to go to, which country you want to live in, what car you want to have, what movie you want to watch at whatever time you ever want to watch that movie, what TV show you want to watch, what music you want on demand, you can choose anything you want to at all times, and what's the result of all of the endless possibilities of options, paralysis of anxiety, of course it is, and what we're trying to give you is not a bad you, bad you. That's not the goal. But what we're trying to get you to see is, men, this is something that has been thrust upon you, something that no adults or any of us have figured out. But this is something onto you. And why is that important? Ecclesiastes 3.1 says that there is a season for everything under the heavens. There's a season for everything. So if the culture has put all of these options onto you, and your situation is defined by putting these things onto you, then what you have to move away from is identity to situation. You are not anxious. You are in a season of anxiety. You are not depressed. You are in a season of depression. You have to move away from this is what I am to this is what is going on. And that first step changes everything. Because where you went to, this is ingrained into the biology of who I am to, man, I have a little bit of hope to actually get out of this possibly. It's a game changer when you think about it. Everything is different, that our whole lives and everybody around us is like my life. Before I got married, my mother-in-law would always tell me this story about my wife and how she would go to the dollar store and she would give her a dollar when she was like five or six and my wife at the dollar store was like, oh my gosh, everything is available because everything's a dollar. She would give her one dollar and every choice was there. And every single time, she'd end up crying. Too many options. There's too many choices that you think you can move in any direction you want to and you find yourself paralyzed standing there because you have no idea what is going on. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine uh, a big forest. Or maybe you've walked through a forest in order for you to go to your schools or to work or whatever it is that you go to. And I always think about, uh, you know, the trails, the trails that are all through these forests. And you go, why does no grass grow there? Grass doesn't grow there because people keep walking over the same trails over and over and over and over again, right? That makes sense. So if you're walking in this forest, you're like, oh, I want to cut through. And you see a trail, you are obviously going to go through that trail because it's the thing that's constantly repeated. People keep going through it. Your brain works the exact same way. If you keep going from a thought to an action to an emotion constantly over and over and over and over and over again, It's like your brain does the same thing. It goes, it goes, it goes, and it sees the path, and it goes, that's the way we go, and it will just shoot in that direction. And this is what I'm getting to. What I'm getting to is that if you, in your mind, do not have forgiveness, the thing that Jesus so wants us to have, then things begin to just go over and over and over again. This is what I mean. If you have a friend, and you and your friend got into a very big fight, big fight, you went from best friend to I hate you, Certain little things about them begin to remind you of them. Maybe it's their shoes, it's their purse, it's the smell, it's the perfume, it's where they live, it's, it's what sports they play, and every single time you see one of those things, it reminds you of them, and then automatically you're just like, oh, I'm in a bad mood. Every single time you're walking in the mall and you see a friend who has the same purse as the friend that you don't want to think about, you automatically just, oh, I hate that. Isn't that crazy that you're so easily connected to small, little, tiny things that change your mood completely? So man, I do not have to get you to make a mistake. I do not have to get you to be embarrassed or shamed of something in your life. Man, imagine what the devil has to do. Just has to show you a purse. Just has to let you smell a smell. All of a sudden, your mood changes. Who's really in control? I think the mind of Christ is one that takes every thought captive. It's one that chooses what thoughts they want to dwell on. This is incredibly important. Philippians 2, 1-11 says that the mind of Christ is defined this way. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. So what does the same mind look like? Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours In Christ Jesus. That's so often what I would think and believe that depression and anxiety and some of these situational things come about is because, to be honest, if I look at myself, I look at my life and I can pinpoint all the horrible things I do. I uh, leave the towels on the ground and my wife hates it and yet I still do it. Sometimes People text me and I forget to text back and I do it all the time and it's like I don't grow in that thing. Sometimes I tell a little bit of a white lie and I keep going along with it. Sometimes I just totally push away from any kind of relationship or it's the fact that I hate vulnerability so no one's ever gonna know about me and I try to run away or the fact that when I think about one time when I'm gonna be a father, I'm like petrified because I'm going, I'm never gonna be a good one of those. There's constantly all of these things that if I just wanna pick apart myself. I, there's no discipline. Um, I have not intelligence, as people give me credit for. I cannot stick to a plan. I'm too um, everywhere. I'm not organized. I'm not um, put together as much as other people. Man, if I keep on looking at myself over and over and over and over and over again, and all I do is keep my eyes on myself, of course I'm going to be down. But I think the goal of what this is saying And what he is trying to get to you, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourselves, is basically trying to make the point of get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes off of you. You will disappoint yourself more than any person in the world will disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint you. That there's a joy that when you have his spirit with you, a joy, an actual joy, of love and peace and graciousness to other people, that God's affection for you moves you in such a way where you go, man, life is better. Life is grander. Life is great. And I'm not saying it's easy, but there's a buoyancy to your spirit that doesn't just allow you to go down and sink to the bottom of the ocean. Think about those times where you're at a pool and you have a beach ball, and you try to grab the beach ball and you put it under the water, you try to step on it, and all of a sudden you like biff it and you fall off and the beach ball flies up into the the air. You try to do it again, you grab the beach ball, and you're like, okay, I'm, no, I'm really gonna get this time. I'm gonna sit on it, and you put it down, and you try to get under the water, and you just flip off again, and the beach ball goes, there's a buoyancy to it. There's an inability for it to be held down. I think that's the Christian spirit. I think that's the spirit of God working in you, where it's, no, life is not easy. It will push you down, but do you have the buoyancy of dedication and trust in the Lord that he's constantly pushing you up? Your mind has to be transformed to believe such a thing, to believe that you are moving closer to the image of Jesus because that is what's so important. Dallas Wood puts it this way, that spiritual formation in Christ, which is basically becoming more and more like Jesus. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. That Jesus relegates every idea. Jesus changes everything. There was a season where I remember being in a a season of just absolute anxiety and depression. There was panic attacks. I remember there was times where I would go to my house and I'd be freaking out and just weeping. And I could not control myself from crying. And I was sitting there over and over and over again. I remember calling a friend who had dealt with something similar. And I'd asked her, like, "What what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I remember just playing worship music and just like weeping and crying and it happened over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not saying this is a get rich quick scheme. I'm not saying that this is gonna be the absolute solution to your problems right away. But what happened to me is in those moments of absolute like terror, I prayed more than I ever thought I would pray in my entire life. And at one point in my prayer, I thought about Jesus. I thought about him on the cross. I thought about the idea that I was his enemy and the gospel story almost meant way more to me than I ever thought before. It changed my heart. It changed the inside of me. And the buoyancy began to start and grow. It wasn't an immediate, it was just gradual. And I look at myself from that five years ago or whatever it was, and I go, it is crazy for me to think that my life is so different now, not because I had a good formula, not because I saw an awesome therapist, and therapy is great, and it's awesome, and I was there. I was sitting with a counselor. It was awkward, and I went through it. But the game changer for me was introducing Jesus into my life in a brand new fashion, and having him from the inside with his spirit grow these things. Remember the fruits of the spirit that we went through a couple couple months ago? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things began to grow. Those things began to be elevated in such a way where my life was no longer about me. When I thought about him I thought about him on the cross, and I thought maybe there was a chance that this could get better, and it did. That's what my hope is for you guys, As you're sitting there, and things are going through your minds all the time, but there's hope for you, that Jesus loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, that the spirit of God that you are called to keep in step with is filling you every single day. I used this illustration when we were at the retreat, but imagine if you had a cup of water and all the cup of water wise was anxiety it was just filled to the top and every single time you interacted with somebody what's going to spill out anxious thoughts anxious ideas anxious behaviors that was what was going to spill out but imagine if the spirit of god had such a hold on your life that all of the things that the spirit of god has those nine qualities of the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit, it's one single thing, not nine different options. Imagine if that is the thing that filled that cup. And every single time you interacted with anybody, that's what spilled out. What do you need more of? You do not need more of you. You do not need more good ideas. You do not need a a get rich or self help plan. What you need more of is God himself allowing to be in your spirit to change you from the inside. And that's what the goal is. I can invite the the band up. What I want to do as we go through these songs is I want us to take the time to want that. That God would effectively work in us in such a way through our prayers that he begins to not in just a single moment, maybe that happens, but to gradually allow us to see that the anxiety and the depression that we are seeing in our hearts and the thoughts that we are going through have a way out. That God can do something incredible. Not because of us, but because of him. So Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for tonight. That as we begin to see what it is that you're wanting to do with us. That you're looking to transform our mind. To renew us from the inside. That you want to give us your mind. And your mind is only given to us through your spirit and that your spirit enlightens us to nine beautiful fruit of your spirit that allows us to be filled and to change our mindset about things, that we are not stuck, that our identity is not our sin, but our identity is based on the fact that we are now children of God, saved by your grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. That that would be introduced into the story of us, and that we would be different for it. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.